0: This episode of The Cutting Room is sponsored by Grass Valley's s 6. Check out the new s 6 at www.grassvalley.com.
1: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing?
0: Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Well, it's been a week off. The NAB was on, and although I personally wasn't there, Tej from Tej's Tech Blog was, and we were making sure our servers could handle the, uh, Influx of new people. But this week I continue my interview with Jeffrey Richmond, and this week we specifically look at the editing of The Cove. I'd like to thank the ACE for helping me set up this interview, and I hope that you enjoy this interview.
2: Now I'd like to jump to The Cove. The opening 10 minutes transitions between several storylines, but it's done really smoothly and it's really fluid, and I was wondering. How did you, or I guess if you could give me insight in how you tackled this first opening 10 minutes in setting up the whole film? Because it's a very important sure. thing for a film is to set everything up.
3: Yeah, I mean, I usually find that the first 10 minutes is the last thing that gets cracked in the edit process. Because that's always the point in the film where you have to get across so much exposition and introduce your main characters, so much stuff that has to get done in that time that it's really hard to make it engaging because it all comes down to just a lot of information that has to be said in the first act.
2: But it doesn't feel like exposition, that's why I was so... Well, that's the
3: trick yeah. in any movie, is finding a way to introduce the characters and introduce the exposition in such a way that it feels like it's part of the story of the character and not just a checklist of things that you need to know before we move on to the second act. So with The Cove, we I mean, we went through, for a long time, the early first 10 minutes were very simply what you would come up with on a paper cut, which was Rick's the main character, and it's a movie about dolphins. So we opened the movie on a montage of dolphins with all the scientific voices talking about how intelligent they are. And that was the opening credit sequence. And then we went right into Rick's story. So it's Rick talking about, you know, just like introductory bite about the dolphin smile and how they're not treated well. And then it goes into that he worked on Flipper, and then he became an activist, and then he met Louis. And then we talk about Louis, and that he was a photographer, and then he was interested in the oceans. And then while they were talking, Louis and Rick, they talk, mentioned, you know, Rick brought up Taiji and what's yep. going on there. So they went to Taiji, and um, in that very logical chain of scenes. Um, we're now 13 minutes into the movie and we've just gotten to Taiji. Yeah. And so all the information is out there. And it's, you know, all the shots are very similar to what's in the final film, but it is really boring because it, it's just information. And so what we, kind of like a big click moment was when we figured out to um, start with a little bit of a cold open to kind of tease the audience into the tone of the movie, that there is this very interesting night mission that will happen later in yeah. the film and kind of hook you in your seat. And then all of that stuff is about keeping the audience engaged. The thermal camera stuff as the opening credits is just because it's interesting to look at. Yeah. And so it's all just about the most interesting way to present the stuff. And big thing with Rick's and Louie's storyline is that there's Rick, there's Louie, there's the town of Taiji, there's the dolphins. So there's a lot of characters that have to get it set up and a lot of information. And we also had at one point a voiceover track that was guiding the audience through, you know, like Rick's backstory and Louie's backstory and things like that. What we found is it was just too many voices and too many different steps to get to the main point, which was Taiji. Yeah. So we stripped away the voiceover, because it was basically the voiceover telling the story of Louis, telling the story of Rick, telling the story of Taiji, which is the story of the dolphins. And all those things need to be introduced in the first act, but it's just too many layers. Mm -hmm. And so the car ride where Rick is giving Louis a tour of Taiji ended up becoming kind of the spine for that whole section because that way we meet Louis and Rick right away in the car together. So here's our two characters. Keep it a little bit mysterious because Rick's wearing a mask, which was great because it's engaging and interesting and, and using that kind of to go back and forth, we jumped off into the very sort of uh, simple exposition. But meanwhile, we've, we're already in Taiji, we already know that Rick and Louis are our main characters and now just stick around because you'll get all the information you need and then when we come back to the end of that car ride, we're pointing out the cove where the slaughter takes place. And that sort of beauty montage of the dolphins and the intelligence would seem to be the logical place to start for a movie about dolphins, but ended up being much better served later in the film, when we needed to infuse a little bit more caring about the dolphins in the second act. Because in some of the earlier cuts, um, what we found is that we got the mission stuff working really well and the introduction of all the team members working really well but by the time we got to the actual killing of the dolphins people would say yes it's brutal and it's really hard to watch it's terrible but we didn't really care about the dolphins and that's because we had all that dolphin intelligence stuff right at the top of the movie when you're just settling into your seat And it's beautiful, and it works, it's nice, it's pretty, and the audio sort of flows one bite into the other nicely, technically, Um, but it's wasted at that point in the film. Because it's essentially just overloading the beginning. Yeah, it just becomes like, you know, filler for the credits, you know, and um, just by removing that from the opening, we then had it on a clipboard, basically, and we could find the most strategic place to put it so that it would have the most impact and actually make the audience care again about yeah. the dolphins. You brought up an interesting point is that the footage is gruesome, like
2: it's really tough stuff to watch. How did you get through that as an editor? Because you're, you're, you know, we watch it for an hour and a half, you're watching it for months. Yeah.
3: So how did you separate yourself from that and make the cut? I mean when you're actually in the middle of it cutting, it's really a lot about different problems that need to be addressed. And it just becomes about the process. Yeah. But then it's only really when we're watching the rough cuts down that yeah. they then affect me again. There's a couple shots in that sequence that still get to me. When I'm actually cutting it, it, just there's so much to think about in just getting the edit right that that's what I'm focused on. When you were cutting the infrared stuff, how did
2: you use it to help impact the audience, uh, suspense-wise and story-wise?
3: I mean, that footage is inherently impactful just because it's so interesting to look at. Yeah. Um, and there's so little information that I think it keeps you more on the edge of your seat. The thermal, you, thermal camera stuff and the night yeah. vision stuff.
2: But you use it and you build, when you build the sequences, you build this suspense into it. Like, are they going to get caught and can't, you know, there's a light. What do we do? Yeah. So, I guess, how did you structure those particular scenes? Because you started, as you mentioned yesterday, with, I think it was seven trips to the cove. I think it was like four in, four out. So it was was about eight or nine trips, yeah. So how did you go about taking all that footage and condensing it down to this particular suspenseful?
3: Well, once we decided to break the mission into the two parts, Mm -hmm. which um, over the course of all those missions, it really boiled down to the missions where they put just the hydrophones, and then all the other times where they would put all the cameras. And so we would just lay all of those, all of the cameras for all of those missions onto one master timeline. And it was just making a select reel of the best moments from within all of that footage and figuring out a way to leapfrog from this great moment to this great moment to this great moment. There's a lot that's set up with the music and the tone of it and the pace of it. The first mission is cut a lot slower. So you're kind of, you give the audience a lot more time to get drawn in. So that by the time that Mandy and Kirk are actually going in the water, you're already in the scene. You're not jumping into the danger part too quickly. And so you just needed enough time to be engaged before the flashlights would come. And that was a big distinction that helped for the first mission and second mission because they are inherently repetitive. Mm-hmm. It's the same type of footage and they're doing pretty much the same exact thing except now they're on both sides of the cove. Yeah many passes of the second mission felt just like this, the the first mission. I mean we threw in the the moment with the marmot because part of the strategy with the second mission is that this is going to be different from the first mission in that by this point they know how to get in and out of the cove they know the logistics and they know how to evade the police the right way and so this will be presented in the much more confident um, we know what we're doing, and we're, they accomplish what they're doing in a much uh, quicker way yeah. than the first mission. So the, the pacing of the two missions became the, the key to distinguishing the two of them. And I think that's where the first one maybe feels more tense, yeah. because we just have more time to get sucked into the, the footage. And um, let us sit there with it. Yeah, and like you never know at what point anything's going to happen, because you're also it's the first time you're seeing anything like this. Um, but the second time, you know, you go in thinking, oh, we're we going to do this all again, but then we kick into a little bit of a faster tempo and throw in moments like the marmot. So it's, no, we're, this time they, they know what they're doing and it's about getting the cameras in there and getting out.
2: Dolphins are, uh, like they say in the movie, they're very sound-based animals. How did you work with sound, just like to build? an environment that would help complement the dolphin's sound use? Like when when you were cutting, did you use sound as cues or anything?
3: I love doing sound editing and sound design. I think that that um, completely transforms scenes from one level to another and just one sort of tempo to another level of of speed and tempo and momentum. So it was certainly in the section where we're talking about sonar, we had many selects of the best sound recordings of dolphins from, Louis would travel all over the world and recorded dolphins in many different places and that's where we got all that great sort of wild dolphin footage and in that was a lot of great sound recordings of dolphins. And so we would just pull the best click-click and squelch sounds from the dolphins and use that as kind of the bed for that. Uh, montage of dolphins swimming underwater. In general the sound is a lot of times, especially in the missions and in any kind of montage like Rick's activism, sound is what's driving the scene. And so I'll often start with a build of the scene that's based on the momentum of the soundtrack. And so I'll pull the best lines from or the best sounds of, um, you know, for instance in Rick's activism, him splashing underwater, to cut the nets or little sound bites uh, like the um, the guy who's like, God damn it, or um, him little sound, uh, actual interview bites where they ask him how many times he's been arrested. All these little sound pieces keep that whole montage moving, otherwise, it just falls into a picture music montage, which is much flatter than something that actually has the sound design to drive it It creates like a bridging effect for you exactly yeah and then you can almost go anywhere with the picture to some extent because you have this continuous flow of sounds that's keeping you engaged and then you have more freedom to jump around and almost put the cuts in a lot more places and show whatever you want because you've got this steady continuous soundtrack going that's engaging on its own.
2: Now there's the side story of the mercury poisoning and yesterday at Editfest you mentioned there was maybe seven or eight side stories that were brought to you. How did you come to decide on the mercury poisoning as one of the important ones and it's such a small part but it's an important part to the film so how did you work it into the structure without throwing things off in the other storyline?
3: Well, Mercury and Minamata were always going to be in the film, I mean, because that is— there's kind of two parts to the argument against the slaughter of the dolphins in Taiji, or in Japan, which is that it's cruel, and dolphins are intelligent creatures, and we have that whole section about the dolphin intelligence, and we shouldn't be killing these animals, period. But then there's the other, other side for, if you don't agree with that argument, they're poison. So we shouldn't be feeding them to people in Japan or anywhere. And so the movie wouldn't work without both of those arguments. But figuring out a way to tie it in was obviously tricky because it is such a tangent. And the, you know, even if the Minamata section is emotional and informational and interesting, if, I mean, when it was placed in different spots, Mm -hmm. it just felt like it was taking us away from the main thrust of the film any time we went off on these tangents, it was always just about finding these even simple lines from interviews or visuals, like Rick confronting the fisherman and he mentions Minamata yeah. when he confronts him. I mean that, all that stuff helps to make it feel like Minamata is part of the main thrust of yeah. the film. And it just feels like we went off on that whole journey into Minamata, the history of Minamata, mercury poisoning for a reason. It gives us a different perspective on why it's important to accomplish this mission. And then that actually had a great ripple effect on the mission, which was that now there's a whole layer of emotion going through the audience's mind when you're watching this sort of generic montage of them planning the mission. Because it's fun and all to watch them planning the mission, but that, that goes on for a few minutes and you can kind of get lost in the details of where we're going to put the cameras and where we're going to put the hydrophones and how many cameras are we going to have but we've just come from this very emotional segue into Minamata and introduced this whole other layer of danger and so when charles then says we realize this is going to be a lot more difficult than we thought there's almost an undercurrent of because we're now tackling lots of different issues yeah. besides just the killing of dolphins and so with all the tangents, it was always about finding those key bites and moments with the team to kind of stitch them together and feel like the reason we're telling you all this other stuff about Minamata, um, counterfeit meat, the buying of the votes, the Save the Whale movement by, that Roger Payne started. Yeah. It's all tied to this one through line, which is Rick, the OPS team, and um, Louie going in and trying to document this slaughter. It's all about. It's a lot of it's just the trial and error. Yeah. I mean that it all makes so much sense now. Yeah. But it took a long time to figure out that if we put this here, the mission will have a lot more depth. And if we put the listening to the dolphins off of the hydro, the sound devices here, then Iki, the tale of the dolphins yeah. that went extinct in Iki, will won't feel like an educational tangent. It'll feel like a warning to what's happening in Taiji, and if we put this here, then what came before it or after it will be elevated. There's basically, there's the two levels to all of the scenes. There's the sort of inherent entertainment and importance to each scene and how well each scene plays on its own. So we can get the scenes to cut and get the planning of the mission to be this great concise montage, and we can get the listening to the hydrophones to be this great section, and each scene can be its own. You can get the edit perfect, yeah. right? But then there's the other value to the scene, is how does it play in the context of the scenes around it? And that's a lot of the trial and error and accidents. A lot of it are just accidents, where you put you know, one shot scene you know, here and one scene right after it, and you just realize that what was a good scene becomes a great scene, or what was pretty boring before becomes um, a turning point in your act. It's like uh, Carol Littleton said.
2: Uh, I think it was Carol Littleton, who said, "Every time I cut, I relearned. I become an editor because yeah. you have to re. Because everything's different." So
0: yeah. And yeah, that was my interview with Jeffrey Richmond, the editor of *The Cove*.
1: *Cove* is such a good movie.
0: So, Lauren. Yeah. The NAB was on last week. Yes. And big final announcements. And yes, things. big announcements. Uh, Apple announced the new or Apple demoed the new final cut pro x mm-hmm. and avid announced cloud systems
1: does that mean it's in the cloud
0: it well they aren't officially in the cloud yet but they're i believe they're calling it that well i believe they've got some stuff that you can start working online with so lauren yeah what happened this week with forward film review
1: um well we had a winner we had jeremy who had previously guessed we we have these phoenixes they're like fighting each other. <laughs> I'm excited to see who the golden Phoenix is that yeah. wins it all. But Jeremy had guessed correctly before, but we'd already, I think we were recording when he emailed it in. Yeah. And so then he guessed this one correctly. So it was date night was the answer to the last one. So I've got a new one for, uh, for this next round to see who gets the coveted art of the guillotine t shirt. T-shirt. Yes.
0: We sent him a t-shirt.
1: And trust me, it's covered, because I don't even have one.
0: Yeah, we well, yeah we don't have one. I, I don't have one. I wish I had uh, we one. We gave a bunch out at NAB.
1: Awesome. Hopefully everyone sends a picture of themselves in the shirts. Yeah, a
0: couple people have. Good. And maybe in their If you're room. interested in seeing those pictures, you can go to our Facebook group, or our Facebook user page, which is at facebook.com slash artguillotine. Yep. How else can they get in touch with us, Lauren?
1: Um, you can tweet to at artguillotine. Or you could email to info at artoftheguillotine.com.
0: And, of course, Facebook. You you did that.
1: You did that. It's over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. um, Why don't
1: you have a MySpace page?
0: I do, but it's kinda Do you seriously? Yeah. (laughs) There's like two people following (laughs) it. (laughs) Mm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's it's for the teenagers.
1: Does it have one of those tiled backgrounds?
0: I don't know what it have in the background.
1: And then like music the plays?
0: Automatically when you land on the page. I really, love, then, it. love it. It's like pink and black and
1: Oh, so good. So many colors. <laughs> so many colors. So many sizes and so many bold and italicized mm-hmm. things.
0: But if you uh if you go to our Facebook page you can also get our show notes.
1: Yes, show notes. I was just thinking of those.
0: Yes. You know why? Because you randomly throw things in that I have to add to the show notes.
1: Yeah. Hard day's night. Yeah, Quantum. but
0: what's this week's forward film review?
1: Oh, okay. Um, so it's um a motion picture item, uh, or a television show. One of the two, and the forward film review this time is three words. It's a three-word film review. The big gill. Huh. Think about it. That's an
0: interesting one. Info at com. Yeah. Uh, Twitter, which is at artguillotine, or com slash artguillotine. Yeah. And, of course, if you know this week's forward film review. The big go. Then you can send it to info at com. Awesomeness. Yes. And next week, I'll be picking up my interview with Jeffrey. And we will be discussing his work on Sicko. Awesome. With Michael Moore, I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening, and I'd also like to thank the American Cinematographers, the Manhattan Edit Workshop, Jeffrey Richmond, Ian Sit, and of course my producer Lauren Woodcock. Burkell, I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.